Are you interested in learning more about how to start your Salesforce career? Be sure to register for our next live webinar showing you exactly how the Salesforce Career Development Program works, our latest statistics, and up-to-date information about what's going on in the Salesforce ecosystem. To register now, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash live. That's talentstacker.com forward slash L-I-V-E. We look forward to seeing you on the next live webinar. The company brought her in and basically said, hey, Stacy, Brad botched this thing. Let's see if you can work through this and figure it out. Over the weekend, she figured it out, fixed the whole thing that I destroyed over like the last month. Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Salesforce, Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's show, we talk about what keeps consultants on their toes. Some of the projects you'll walk into, you're going to walk in there and you're going to look at them and you go, what the hell has gone on here? Also, Brad explains the reality behind Talent Stacker's success. Looking back at it, it's like, I don't know about overnight success because I just helped 200 businesses start a business. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's episode, we are going to continue the series on taking a look at different roles in the Salesforce ecosystem and helping you understand, could this be a good fit for you? And the role we're going to cover today is a Salesforce consultant. There are a lot of different varieties of this, so we have a lot of information to cover. And as always, with me to dive in on this is Anita Smith. How's it going, Anita? Hey, it's going pretty well. Been busy actually studying and pretty more focused on my my main role as Scrum Master, so just learning new things on how to improve there. How's it going with you? Yeah, we've been also staying pretty busy, enjoying having a little time to ourselves with Evelyn out of school for the summer. So that's been a nice transition. And we're sort of prepping for, I guess, next year and enjoying this while we have it. So a little bit of change of pace, but exciting to sort of be in the space for a little while. So who do we have joining us today? It's a repeat guest. Yes, repeat guest. Dave Massey is joining us again because he started his career as a consultant led him down a different path, but really interesting career path so far. He was telling us a little bit about it before the show, and he'll explain more going forward. But welcome back to the show, Dave. Happy to have you again. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Hey, Anita. Hey, Brad. How's everyone doing? It's it's great to be back. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you back. We we know you've been through a lot of career transition yourself lately, uh, moving fully into taking on that that role of owner of Get4 Certified. So I know that's exciting for you. But yeah, today we're going to have some fun talking about, I guess, your old life all the way back, you know, three years ago, I guess, over the past three years, moving through your career. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about sort of what Anita mentioned, like you were telling us before the show, how did you get into the Salesforce ecosystem? What was your initial role? And then we can talk a little bit through that progression. Yeah, definitely. So I initially started as a junior consultant at a small boutique consultancy. And to be honest, it's probably the most fun role that I've had as a consultant because you get to touch everything. You get to have a go at everything. You get to learn loads and you're opened up to so many industries. You develop so many skills. And, you know, it's true when they say every day is different. No day is the same. You know, again, it depends on the consultancy that you go to as well, because there's larger consultancies where you may be challenge to basically stay in your lane and only do what you're asked to. Whereas at smaller consultancies where you start, you really get exposure to everything. So in terms of getting a feel of what role you want to do, you get to play BA, you get to play PM, you get to do a bit of architecting, you get to do the config, 
you know, you get to do a lot. And for me, that was kind of where I first got my taste for training people and where I really enjoyed it. And that was, you know, training end users, but also training internal resources and setting up a center of excellence. So yeah, for a consultant, for, for my experience is it's a great role to have. It's something I've always loved. And when I've worked with people who've worked as a consultant, you can generally tell there's a bit of a difference because they're used to fighting fires, basically. And you always see these memes on LinkedIn and you see them on Facebook where they, you know, you have the consultant, basically, who's the firefighter who comes in and is dealing with a lot of things at one time. And it can be challenging. I'm not going to turn around and say it isn't challenging, but it is so rewarding and it's so much fun. So I love my time as a consultant. Man, I am always so impressed by people who their like first Salesforce job ever is a consultant. Because when you think of a consultant, you think, oh, they must have years and years of experience. But like, I remember when I was getting into this, I was like, wait, what? You can go in as a junior consultant as your first role? Like, how did you go about finding that job? And did you feel like maybe some sort of imposter syndrome or whatnot when you're like going and applying to those jobs? Yeah, to be honest, when I started, that was just the role I was after because I was very conscious that my technical skills were not as strong as other people who come out with, you know, computer science degrees or who'd been working in IT field. I knew that that was my weak point, but I knew my strength was the fact that I'd come from a sales and service background. So in terms of transitional skills, I had that general requirements gathering anyway because I've been doing that for 10 or 15 years, albeit for different industries and different techs. But I still had that ability to ask open-ended questions, to pick up on different cues and to know kind of where to pork and where not to pork. So I kind of had that skill set to begin with. And then really, it was a case of just building on that, building on the technical skills. But in terms of how I landed that role is I was the annoying guy who was messaging and connecting with everyone on LinkedIn. Like I was hounding people on LinkedIn. And luckily, I got very fortunate. I had three people respond to me interviewed with those three companies and ended up with three offers. <laughs> but that was after like a hundred odd messages. So yeah, it was very fortunate. And yeah, I think it's it's more a case of, and this is something I'm key on, is transitional skills as well. You know, moving into Salesforce isn't just about your tech skills. It's, you know, I've spoken to people who are coming from a healthcare profession or coming from a teaching and education profession. And I don't think people realize those skills they've built up in their prior life, their prior career, they're really hard to find, you know, and they, they blend well to a lot of different roles. Wait, I just want to rewind a bit because I'm guilty of doing this too. You did not get lucky. Like you literally just explained how much work you did to get those responses. I mean, like you got three responses. How many people did you message? Like if you could estimate. <sighs> Must have been close to 100. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that's not luck. That's hard work. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's something we've reiterated on the show a lot is just that the days of, and I don't know if these days ever existed, they haven't existed in my career, where you can just go apply for jobs and just expect people to reach out with interviews is just so unlikely. And I think what we found from our experience is that the ones who do respond when you just click apply for job and then they send you an interview, that likely means they are just absolutely strapped to get somebody quickly. It's the bottom of the barrel employers. And it's not the ones that take that work to figure out how to find your way into a role with them. They're not, they're not interested in getting to know you or figuring out if you're a go-getter. They just saw a resume and said, yeah, we'll invite you over. I think it's really interesting that that was your path, kind of figuring that out on your own using LinkedIn and networking and those kind of things. 
Um, I was going to talk to you some about that first role. I love it. I think it's a great introduction into this episode because throughout the show, we're going to talk a little bit about the variances in large consultancies, mid-sized, small consultancies. And you mentioned this first role was with a boutique consultancy, which is a pretty common term referred to smaller consultancies, I would say less than maybe 30, 40 employees. And you can talk a little bit about you know, how many people were there, but the experience at the boutique consultancies is incredible because to your point, they need you to do a little bit of everything. And I think to a lot of people, that sounds scary. And they go, gosh, I got to do a little bit of everything. I don't feel like I know how to do anything. How am I going to do a little bit of everything? And that can be scary. But I think when you're willing to accept that challenge and take it on, you're going to learn. You're going to figure it out. You just, you're going to be doing it 40 hours a week. Like you're going to pick up on these things as you go. And the neat thing about working at a consultancy is you have a lot of support from other experts. When you're in an internal role, a lot of times you can be by yourself for days or even weeks at a time where you're trying to get in touch with your manager or somebody else at the company, but they don't really work with you or report to you and you don't really report to them, but you need their help and it can take time. But at a consultancy, they need these projects to get done so they can build the clients and move on to the next project. So they have a lot of, I'll say, responsibility or inclination to help you and guide you and get you up to speed so that they can start getting you billable on projects. So the question I really want to ask you now is, what was the size of that consultancy? And I do want to ask too, do you feel like that role helped you in starting your own business or getting into you know, doing things on your own? Yeah, so the company itself, there was only about 20 people in there, including the owners and the sales team. So it was quite a small one, but kind of, as you said, like, I love that. You know, I kind of thrive on a bit of chaos. I'm not someone who likes to stay between the lines. I like to kind of, you know, see what I can do. And you're right, you know, it could be scary to some people, that idea of playing a lot of roles. But if you flip it on its head, it's actually giving you a chance to taste all the different roles. I mean, in whatever environment are you going to be able to taste all those roles? Not many, really. If you go to a big company, then realistically, you're going to be on one project at any one time. You're never going to deviate from it. You're going to work strictly as your sprints are, and you're going to have your strict, you know, you do this then and et cetera. Whereas with a small consultancy, I loved it because I would have like one or two main projects. But then if someone needed a hand on something and I had a bit of downtime, I wouldn't be on the bench like you see at a lot of the larger consultancies. I mean, I've just got off the phone speaking to a friend of mine who's he's been working for a consultancy for just under 12 months, and he's spent over half his time on the bench. Like That kind of stuff for me is it's good. You know, you can go and you can learn and you can do stuff like that, but it gets boring after a while. So being at a smaller consultancy, you get to touch everything. And, and kind of coming back to that, like there was the roles that I played as well, because I did a lot of roles within there, but it was all the products I got exposed to. Like I know some consultants who, you know, they've been in, in the ecosystem for like four or five years, and they may have only touched sales and service cloud, or they may have only even touched one product because that's all they're doing. And again, that can apply to, you know, being an end user admin as well, is you get really good at one product. But for me, you know, I got sales cloud, service cloud, experience cloud. I dealt with them all day. Then I had to touch CPQ and I had to get FSL. And it was strange because, and I know I always use the analogy of a jigsaw. It's one of my favorite analogies, but I always use that analogy because when you're working with different products, you suddenly get to see more and more and more. So you may only have a 500-piece jigsaw. Then you start to experience CPQ and you're like, well, actually, this is a 1,000-piece jigsaw. Then you plug in field service and it becomes a 2,000-piece jigsaw. And by being in that environment, you learn how you could take stuff. So when I was architecting and building solutions, 
I was basically stealing CPQ functionality and rebuilding it in Sales Cloud to kind of give certain elements to it like that. So yeah, I really recommend small consultancies, definitely. I'm feeling a little FOMO right now, fear of missing out because I work for a boutique consultancy, but my experience is completely opposite. One client who you know has me for 40 hours a week. So I mean, I'm really focused in and I can dig deep into that one client and their org, but completely different experience. So I want to hear more about you know, first starting out, because a lot of people listening now, I, I remember what my thoughts are. I was like, okay, but what do you do each day? Like, how is it your first month there? Like, what projects were you put on? Did they like, kind of add you in on projects gradually? Were you like at the beginning of projects? How was your first month in your first junior consultant Salesforce role? Exciting. <laughs> That's probably the best word I could use to describe it. Because when I started, they were still trying to work out what I could and couldn't do because I'd gone in with two certifications, but I'd never worked in the ecosystem. So it was a kind of case of, well, hang on, he, he might have the knowledge, but can he actually do it or can he not do it? So I was just put into a bit of a support role to begin with. So I was helping uh, one of my team members on one project, just doing standard config stuff, you know, building out pick lists, building fields, a couple of custom objects, bit of UI, kind of standard stuff than that. Then from there, it was like, well, try hand at this. So then that was when I first got into flows. Someone said, oh, can you look at automating this? And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> let's have a look at this. And, you know, found flows. And I was very fortunate because one of the people I worked with um, was actually a golden hoodie winner as well, Jonathan Fox. So he was at the first company I joined as well. And he really helped me get to grips with a lot of stuff. So you know how you was talking about a big consultancy, you might not be able to get that support. Well, at a small consultancy, and again, because this was, you know, we were in the office as well. Like, if I needed help, I could literally stick my hand up and grab someone, you know, and that was what was really, really beneficial. And especially because everyone was working on different projects. It was like an amalgamation of, of ideas. Everyone had a different experience working with different products or, you know, different industries, and they'd built certain solutions. And, you know, there was another guy I worked with who, you know, what he didn't know about Salesforce would probably fit on the back of a stamp. Like, this guy was really good. But he was very, very analytical. So I remember we were we were doing a lot of data loading and we was trying to, you know, do all these V lookups and all this to try and get it working. Dean comes over and he goes, Oh, just do that, click, click, click. And we'd spent two hours trying to do something and he'd solved it in two clicks. So, you know, there was that kind of thing. Yeah, so my, my first month was kind of getting to grips with that. And I was very fortunate because I was working quite closely with the owner as well. They quickly realized where my strengths lied because at that point again my technical skills were all right but they knew i'd done a lot of well sales basically and, and requirements gathering or you know information fact finding as i used to do in previous roles and next thing i knew i was chucked straight into customer discoveries and i was doing customer discoveries but again it's that isn't to scare people and i think this is sometimes where sales gets misunderstood people think like when you're doing discoveries it's like the spanish inquisition it isn't, you know, you're not there to like ask a million and one questions. You're there to understand the pain points, to understand how Salesforce could solve them and, and to really build that trust and build that relationship. And there are a lot of different techniques you can use. And, you know, you could create all these documents, which are all brilliant. But once you boil it down, essentially, it's just you with another person asking, hey, what's the issue? What problems are you having? How can I solve it? And that was kind of where it stemmed from. And then from there, I started playing a, a mix of roles and started leading projects, started leading the requirements gathering side of things, spent quite a bit of time, you know, in workshops on site with customers. And again, started doing a lot of training as well. 
So yeah, it was an exciting couple of months to begin with, definitely. Yeah, that's excellent. It sounds like you got really incredible experience there. And I'll, I'll say that, you know, some of the consulting roles I worked in the past, it was very similar to that, where you get so much exposure and support at the same time that you can just really skill up so quickly because you can help others while you're being helped by someone else. And, you know, getting into the sales, getting into the marketing, get into the requirements gathering, you just get a little taste of everything and you figure out what you're good at. And it's really nice to have that somewhat safe environment to do that. And um, I remember I, I really butchered a project once. It was in my first role. It was within the first six months being a consultant. It was a data migration and I ruined their data. I mean, I don't know what happened and I could not figure out what happened. I thought I was like, I'm going to probably get fired, I guess. Like, I don't really know what happens next. I guess I just get fired because I just bombed this. And sure enough, somebody comes in and bells me out. Her name was Stacy Hyatt. And the company brought her in and basically said, hey, Stacy, Brad botched this thing. We're not going to say anything to the client. Let's see if you can work through this and figure it out. Over the weekend, she figured it out, fixed the whole thing that I destroyed over like the last month. And to that exact same point, you know, she was one of the people who really taught me a lot of the major concepts of how Salesforce works and how things happen. And it ended up, you know, even after just destroying that data migration, I would say towards the end of my consulting career, data migrations are what I felt most confident in, what I would really come help out with. And people were scared to death of them for that reason, but I really enjoyed them because you could honestly, I mean, you could just sit down and do a data migration for like a hundred hours and nobody really knew what happened, but all of a sudden they run a report and it's a beautiful thing and they're in a brand new system. So, so that was awesome. But I wanted to touch on a couple other things you mentioned. One was that you mentioned the individual who was able to come in, do a couple of things and knock out everything you guys were trying to work on for a couple of days. And it goes both ways. I want to point that out to especially people early on in their career. There are roles or there are companies, uh, these consultancies where you are going to have experts at the company and they're going to be amazing and just absolute savants in technology and Salesforce specifically, hopefully. And you're also going to see the other side of it where you go, I cannot believe this person is still getting a paycheck. Like, this is crazy that this person is even still being put on projects. They literally don't do anything. They just bill hours. How is this possible? And I'll say it's a little bit of both of that. Like you see the one thing, the expert, and it gives you someone to aspire to be. And then you see the other person who is not all that great. And it lets you know that you're above the bottom, right? Like you're not on the bottom anymore. You're not there. If they've still got a job, you've still got a job. So don't worry about it. Stay focused and get things done. Would you agree with that, Dave? I guess if you had experiences uh, like that before, I mean, I've, I, I've had people literally send me, I send them a template and say, hey, fill this out for this project. And they just say, yeah, I'll have it done by Friday. And they literally do nothing and just send me the template back on Friday. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, you do see that quite a lot. And again, I think, you know, touch on a point you mentioned there as well is when you come in as someone new, you actually have a lot more to offer than you think because you're looking at everything with a fresh pair of eyes. And the way I always liken it is if you have one person who's been working on one org for five or six years, it's customized so far from standard Salesforce that they become conditioned to that says, again, like a developer friend once told me, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then every problem's a nail. And that's kind of what happens with people. And by coming in as someone fresh, because you see things through a different lens, you could spot different solutions that other people might not because they've always done it a certain way. It's not to say they're wrong. It's just to say, if you can amalgamate your view 
with their view as well, then you come up with something really, really beautiful, something really elegant. That's a really nice solution. And again, you know, how you mentioned about the templates, I've seen it where people have logged a huge amount of time on something and I've sat there and thought, how how have they done that? <laughs> do you know what I mean? When I could do it so quickly. But again, it's because people have different ways and, you know, you might not realize how fast you work until you get into that as well. So again, it's just a really good kind of benchmark to find yourself. It's really interesting. You mentioned the people who have worked in one org for such a long period of time. I had who who is now a close friend of mine, a guy that I, I grew up with and happened to be a Salesforce consultant as well. I kind of dragged him into it early on. His first job was an internal role at a company that uh, manufactured garage doors. And he had worked there for about three years before looking out and like, what, what else is going on in the Salesforce world? And I was telling him all about all these jobs and these consultant roles and all these companies and all this different certifications you could get. And he just said, it's amazing because I know you're telling me the truth, but I can't believe there's that much demand for companies that make garage doors. Like, it's just incredible. And he literally didn't know that Salesforce did more than help companies that manufacture garage doors. He thought that was the whole scope of what Salesforce did because he had lived inside that bubble. And that brings up a point I wanted to mention before. You talked a lot about the experience you got with different Salesforce roles, which is awesome. But you also touched a little bit on industry experience, which to me has given me so much confidence in my career. It's like episode 29 when we talked to Jody Herbick about our Salesforce careers basically recession-proof. And, and the bottom line we came up to there is effectively they are if you have the right experience. And one of those was your industry diversification. Because the cool thing is, I mean, it's awful, but I'm going to say it's cool. Um, when you go through something like a recession, typically it's impacting one or two industries. And yeah, other industries may be affected, but some do just fine all the way through the recession while others struggle a lot. And Salesforce is industry agnostic. Like with my consulting career, I was in it for about 10 years. And in that time, worked with about 200 different companies, totally different companies, and got to work on you know cloud-based companies, uh, got to work with software companies, got to work with manufacturing companies, healthcare, finance, anything and everything. And the beautiful thing is when you come out of that, you could be working in a consultancy that specializes in manufacturing. And if that's not going well, you can pivot to a consultancy that specializes in healthcare or pivot to a consultancy that specializes in cloud-based SaaS tools, software as a service. You can really pivot anywhere and you're still going to use the same skills. You're going to be a consultant that's got to gather requirements and you've got to document them and you've got to implement those into Salesforce using all the same tools and skills. So I just wanted to uh, touch on that and see... Have you had that opportunity to get a diverse industry experience? And do you feel like that's you know been something that has protected you as well as far as your your job security? Yeah, definitely. You know, you're talking about industries, different industries that I've worked in within Salesforce itself. And I try to think about the first five projects I did always stuck in my head because that was what stood out to me. I was like, how can all these companies that do completely different things all use the same software? So there was one which was a cannabis oil company. There was one which was an international arms dealer. One was a sports team. The other was, again, another sports team, but in a completely different area and a completely different way of working. And then the other was an electronics company. 
And I remember looking at them and, you know, on one project, I was designing the solution for all the licenses and, you know, how they could capture all this license information and how it would integrate. And with these, this international arms deal in particular, they used to ship like hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of stock when it used to go. And if it was missing one piece of document or it wasn't on the shipment or it couldn't be processed within 24 hours, that stuff got destroyed. So it was a case of if you didn't do your job right, then yeah, you're costing the company a hell of a lot of money. And then it was going from that through to, you know, how a sports team would handle sponsorships and, you know, selling merchandise and selling seats and keeping the stock on them as well. And then again, with the the cannabis oil company, it was, you know, the timeline to actually produce the material, uh, to produce the cannabis oil, which bottles they would go in, what tops they would have on them, what strengths they would have, what flavorings. And when you start working on that, you, you suddenly realize by working in more industries, you start to get more to the crux of it, like, there's no real difference in solutions massive. I mean, there is when you look at them, but when you start boiling them down, you're using kind of the, the same methodology and the same thought process to come up with the same solution. Well, not the same solution, but, you know, the correct solution for that. And yeah, working across the industries was was really interesting. And like you say, in terms of future-proofing yourself, you could just dip your toe into wherever you need to go. And, and as I kind of mentioned before with the different products, as you learn how one industry works, you could take your learnings from that to the next industry, then to the next industry, then to the next industry. And suddenly you start building up this this massive bank of knowledge that you can easily tap into. And without poo-pooing on any consultants, I tend to find that consultants who have worked in small consultancies where they have been doing six, seven or eight projects a year, the skill set they've developed in that time frame is frightening. Like they come on so much and I genuinely think like the company I started at, they're the sole reason I've been able to accelerate how I have because I didn't have time to sit on the bench. I wasn't on the bench once in 18 months, you know, to the point where really I was overutilized. But I knew from my perspective that was what I wanted. There was always that, you know, position where I could turn around and said, look, I'm a bit knackered. I don't really want to be doing anything. You just like, let me just do something easy. But it wasn't. It was like, Dave, do you fancy uh, tackling this CPQ project? Like, yeah, go on. Why not? Do you fancy having a look at this field service one? Yep, go on. Give me that one as well. And I just feel like when you're exposed to that many industries and that many products, you can't help but develop at lightning speed because you, you don't have the choice to. You don't have to. But if you're going to take on that kind of responsibility and that challenge, you will grow and you will develop skills faster than you can ever imagine. That is amazing. So much more FOMO now. Like, you just explaining all the different projects and companies you get to work on. That was so interesting. I mean, if anyone listening now isn't sold on starting as a junior Salesforce consultant, I mean, like, how much fun does that sound learning about all those different industries and companies? <laughs> and I also love and will be using the term poo-pooing in the future now. <laughs> but I wanted to ask because we're talking about all the different types of Salesforce roles out there. Do you know of any common challenges that only consultants have versus admins, developers, BAs? And like, how do you address those? Because I, I know, like, for me, starting out, I have a lot of fears and questions. So I'm sure other people do. So I want to address those fears so people can go all in on starting out as a junior consultant. Yeah, there's a couple of ones. I mean, the first one that obviously comes to mind is time management because time is king, especially as a consultant, because you are billed on the hours that you deliver a project. And you've got to build a really strong relationship with your sales team because 
they need to know how to scope, not scope a project, but they need to know how to estimate roughly what they think it's going to be before you come in at a pre-sale stage. So, you know, time management is one thing, but again, that's where you start to build up reusable assets as well. So you start building SOPs, so standard operating procedures. You have documents, you have templates that you use. I mean, I've got a notion that's full of all the stuff I used as I was kind of getting to grips with everything and it would change and it would adapt as you was going through it. But I would definitely say time management is one thing, but that isn't necessarily a bad thing because you learn time management skills very quickly because if you don't, then you are going to struggle. And I also think the knowledge is really important, like developing knowledge. That One of the challenges I had and that I saw with other junior consultants was having that gutsy approach to just try your hand at everything. I mean, if you just want to do one single role and you don't want to step out of your comfort zone and you don't want to have to do anything that you don't know, it's probably not the right role for you because you're not really going to get that. That's where you want to find someone who does exactly what what you do in exactly the industry that you want that has the exact requirements that you can fulfill. So there's that. And another thing I would say with consultants is you deal a lot with people, like an awful lot of the time you're dealing with people, not necessarily in meetings. So it's not like, you know, you're spending 50% of your time in meetings, but you're working as a team, especially as a consultant at a small consultancy. There's no like, I, there's no, or no, I can't do that. I'm on my project. It's like, yeah, you need a hand. Just give me a shout and I'll come and, you know, help where it needs to be. So you've got to be able to just communicate with people. And just be able to sit there with someone who you've never really met before and just go, right, what issues are you facing? And just be able to put them at ease. So I think, you know, people who are perhaps not so comfortable dealing with people might struggle a little bit. That's just my personal opinion on it. But then again, it all depends. And and this is a conversation for another day. It depends on your role, whether you're functional or whether you're technical, because someone who's functional spends a lot more time on that soft side, whereas someone who's technical will spend less time doing that and they may rely on a functional consultant to help them because again a a consultant is an all-encompassing role so you probably won't have a BA at small consultancy that's part of your role as well and adaptability I think you have to be adaptable to be a consultant and that's you know being able to adapt to different projects different environments but also different technologies and the changes that that come through and some of the projects you'll walk into you're going to walk in there and you're going to look at them and you go what the hell has gone on here? I remember walking into one project and they'd hard-coded lead assignment rules. And I remember sitting there scratching my head thinking, what has gone on here? And I couldn't work it out because I was configuring lead assignment rules. I was turning them off. I was checking all the flaws. I was checking. I was like, I don't get how this, how are these leads going where they're going? And then I, I pulled a developer in and he opened it up and he was like, yeah, there you are. They're hard-coded. And I was like, what on earth? <laughs> so you are going to see some really interesting things. But again, it's all experience, all these things that might perhaps put you off. They'll make you stronger. They'll make you more employable. They'll they'll make you advance more. Like if you have a weakness as a consultant, you'll quickly find that out and you'll quickly build on it as well because you can't just go, hang on a minute, I don't like talking to stakeholders. Do not put me in a room with people because your boss will turn and go, well, you're not a consultant then, are you? <laughs> so you quickly find out. Yeah, it's it's spot on. And I I appreciate what you said about time management. You mentioned a little bit about how in that first role, you were potentially even overutilized at times, but certainly never on the bench, which would be the complete opposite of being overutilized. And it's tough, especially for entry level consultants to push back on drawing those barriers and boundaries around how much they work and when they work and when they answer the phone and when they respond to emails. 
And, you know, that's what it comes down to, in, in my opinion, is first deciding what's comfortable for you. And what is that? Is it is it five o'clock on the dot? Is it eight to five? Or is it, you know, are you willing to go till six? Or you, is it dead at five? But then you'll respond to a couple of things in the evening. And at the end of the day, you've got to be willing to stick to that because you're going to be training your coworkers and training your managers and training your clients. Each and every time you get a new client, you're retraining them on this consultant doesn't pick up the phone in the evenings when I call, but you know what? They call me back right away at eight o'clock in the morning the next day, or they don't respond to emails at 10 PM, but you know what? They respond right away first thing in the morning. And if you train them on something else, if you train them, you do respond right away and you do pick up the phone, then guess what? They're going to use you in that way because you haven't established a boundary and they don't know they're doing anything wrong. So you have to let them know what your boundary is. Otherwise, it's not fair for you to assume they should just treat you a certain way because you've taught them how to treat you. So I would say that goes, whether it's Salesforce consulting or anything else, that's really you know a big part of managing yourself and your time. Another thing you mentioned were what we always refer to as sort of the ebbs and flows of consulting. Now, I never had that experience. I have heard of people who sit on the bench for like six months, eight months, and literally don't get assigned to a project. And you know, typically, if they're driven, they're working on certifications or they're trying to get some other skills up, or they might even be doing some moonlight sort of side hustle work on the side to make a few bucks. And to be clear, you do get paid during that time. You get paid while you're on the bench. Now, you may not get your big bonuses for billing X number of hours and this kind of stuff, but you do get paid. And we, we always said the consulting came with ebbs and flows. I, I've been on the bench for, I would say, a month before, maybe had like, and to me, the bench was when I only had one project assigned instead of like four. So it was, you know, I've just got this one, we have a stand-up call on Thursdays and I do like five hours of work a week and I'm cool. You still get your full salary. You're never going to get your bonus, but you get your full salary. So I enjoyed that. But, you know, one thing I really wanted to harp on was you talking about all these skills. And I would say if you're about to be in a consultant role or if you're currently a consultant and you're wondering, could you ever be a freelance consultant? Could you ever go independent? And I've seen this in my inbox right right now. I've got a message in my LinkedIn DMs from a consultant asking me how to become a freelancer, how to get work on the side. And it's right there in front of them. And so look around. Like if you're a consultant right now, look around. Your whole job is to understand business processes and to understand how to implement those processes and how they work and why they work and the best practice of how to utilize those processes. And what I've noticed is that consultants do a really good job of helping their clients with their business processes, but they never take a moment to understand the business processes of their own company that they work for. And so if that's you, take a moment, look around. How does your consultancy market? How do they find new leads? How do they sell to them? What are they saying on those sales calls? How do they scope the work? How do they decide how many people are going to be assigned and what's going to be scoped for the initial project? How do they close these deals? How do they make sure they get paid? Do they ever have clients who don't pay? And then how do they deal with that? Like you're sitting right in the middle of it. Figure it out. Have the conversations. Ask to join the meetings. Like Dave was saying, Will you be on a CPQ project? Yeah, absolutely. Will you be on a field service lighting project? Yeah, absolutely. I used to get calls that were like, hey, Brad, we need somebody to help our sales rep quote a deal. Can you help? And it was like, I don't know how, but the answer is yes, because I want to know how to sell. I want to know how that process works. So when we started Talent Stacker, I think a lot of people said, oh, man, interesting. Like overnight success must be nice, right? And looking back at it, it's like, yeah, I don't know about overnight success because I just helped 200 businesses start a business and I'm working with 
partners that have been selected and handpicked that are incredible at what they do, there's a lot of experience coming into the room all at one time. This is not like we just tripped and fell and it happened. This is a lot of experience coming in and a lot of skills coming into play all at one time. So you can, when you have those skills, you can create an incredible business. And I think to the outward eye, sort of the people looking in, it looks like, wow, well, the talent stacker wasn't a thing yesterday and now it is. And now it's this like really big thing. And it's like, yeah, but it was a really big thing coming for a long time. So I would like to get your perspective on giving you a chance to talk about Get Force Certified and how your background has allowed you the unique capability to do that successfully. Yeah, that's great. And, and just before I dive into that, just one thing I picked up on there that I really want to kind of tell people about, and this is something that was always taught to me, was you choose your boss, not your job. So a lot of what I was doing when I mentioned I had those three different job offers was I actually took the role, which was the lowest paying role, and quite significantly the lowest paying role. But it was because I trusted who I was going to work for. And, you know, they even turned around to me and said, you know, don't come and join us. If you want an easy ride, we're not the ones for you. You know, we're not going to give you an easy ride. We're, you know, we're going to push you. We're going to see how far you can go. And if it gets too much, just tell us and we'll scale it back. But we're always going to challenge you. And for my kind of character, that that's perfect. But I would always say when people are choosing between job offers or they're choosing where they want to go with the career or what company they want to work for, I would always say, choose your boss, figure out what their values are, figure out what they want, what they expect of you. And then that will really help you decide where the best route is for you to go. Where's the best place for you to call home for the next X amount of years? You know, somewhere that's safe, somewhere that you can grow. It's quite a big thing to pick your next destination. So take the time and don't pick where you're going, pick who you're going with. So always look at who's going to be in the car with you because they're the guys who are going to help drive you forward. So yeah, but coming back to how kind of what I've done has has helped me with GFC is the way I look at it, every single role I've done in my career has been building up to this. Like I have quite an eclectic mix of roles, basically. You know, I've sold more stuff that you can think of from vacuum cleaners to windows to insurance to holidays. I've been on customer service teams, led customer service teams. I've helped out in accounting teams. Like all that knowledge is kind of built and then plugging Salesforce into that knowledge and going into a consultancy as well. That's really helped. And, you know, as a prime example of this, I, I walk the walk. When I talk about, you know, going through these processes over the last couple of weeks, I've been sat down building out my V2 mom, which is visions, values, um, measurements, obstacles, methods, etc. So I've been building that out. I've been looking at my content strategy, how I'm going to do that. I've been looking at the gap analysis. I've been doing SWOT analysis. Like I don't just talk about these things and not actually do them. I've been looking at how I can bring the most value to people. And by going full-time at GFC now, there's so much innovation that I can bring in there that just isn't being done yet. And you know how we was talking earlier on about when you work in different industries, you see the different ways of doing things. And again, I'm I'm quite big into well personal development, self-development and stuff like that. And there's a, a lot of teachings in there. Like I bring like the compound effect up every single time because that book by Darren Hardy is probably one of the most life-changing books that I've read. And it's this idea that I teach in small, short segments because I think that works. But I think that works for a lot of people, not just not just people who, who've got perhaps a shorter attention span. It helps for everyone because you have the primacy and recency effect. Like if you think about your telephone number, you could tell me the, the first four numbers off the top of your head and you could tell me your last three numbers off the top of your head. But if I ask you, oh, you know, what are the middle two or three numbers? You've got to think about it. 
So again, by having that primacy and recency effect and mixing that with the compound effect as well, you suddenly start accelerating as you're learning. And, you know, working in all the different roles that I have done as well is I feel that I can bring that mindset to different avenues. So again, when we're looking at content and again, you know, I'm, I've pretty much finished off the BA course now. It's just about to go into testing. We have the lessons. We have the video lessons. You know, we have like the, the graphics, the visuals that you can see as we're going through the lessons. But what we also have is the cheat sheets as well. So, you know, if you're not 100% a visual learner, uh, well, not a visual learner, sorry, but you don't learn so much by video lessons and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I still find it amazing that people want to listen to my voice. So that still amazes me because I don't want to listen to it. So I think having those cheat sheets at the end, it tackles it from a different angle and it's all about approaching it from different ways. And you're going to see over the next few months, some of the stuff that's going to come out like interactive videos, which I've never seen anyone else do these. But again, one of the companies I worked for as a consultant was an e-learning company and it just happened to be one of the best e-learning companies out there. Now, I don't use their software because it's too expensive, <laughs> to be honest. But, but you know, the stuff they, that I learned as I was a consultant and I was helping them and, you know, I was doing the CPQ project with them and I was learning how they structured it and, you know, how they would have different roles for any projects and the different assets they would use. And, you know, I learned so much from that that I can bring into this as well. So it almost feels, and again, I think you touched on it brilliantly when you talk about, oh, it was an overnight success, like, the amount of people who turn around and go, oh, you know, you you built this course and you put it on Udemy and you did this and, you know, it just took off. It was like, do you realize it took me nine months to write that 13-hour course? It wasn't just something I did in a weekend. It was nine months to build up to that. And the amount of, and again, it's called like the, the desert of desertion. You know, you're building, you're working on this, you're putting all this effort in. No one's seen what you've done yet. All this, it's like you're writing a book, you know, you're writing this stuff and you've got to have that faith to keep in there. And luckily, my wife was the one who said, oh, you've put all this in, just keep going, just launch it and see what happens. I was like, okay, but what happens if it falls flat on its face? It's like, well, if it falls flat on its face, it falls flat on its face, but at least you give it a shot. So sorry, I know I've gone off on a bit of a divergent there, but bringing it back to kind of setting me up as well is a large part of what I did as well as a consultant was a lot of the training, a lot of the end user training and a lot of the internal training. I used to teach people flaws day in, day out. I was teaching end users who didn't really have knowledge of Salesforce, how flaws worked. So I kind of learned a lot of between the teaching the internal guys who had the Salesforce knowledge and the external guys who didn't have the Salesforce knowledge. It was bridging that gap. And I feel I've got a really, a really strong way of taking someone who might not know something about flaws, setting the baseline, but then lifting them, helping them go through the next level and the next level and the next level. And that's why you'll see on a lot of my courses, I don't just dive straight in there. I don't just, you know, with a floor course, I just go, oh, here's a screen floor. It's got 57 variables and it's got 27 decision elements and it's got these formulas. If I did that, it'd just scare people. But if we do 20 or 30 lessons before there, that short five, seven minute lessons, I go, this is what a variable is. This is how it works. This is a use case this is what a decision element is, then here's a nice, simple flow to build. Here's a slightly more complex one. Here's a more complex one. And it's just building you know, one brick on top of another. And that's what I try to do with Getforce Certified. It's aimed at people who do know about Salesforce, but also people who don't know about Salesforce at all. And they just want to kind of see what it's all about. Yeah, I think it's excellent. I mean, obviously, at Talent Stacker, we're big fans of what you're doing at Getforce Certified. I mean, it's, it is the training that we recommend and we actually 
use with our members. So if you can't tell, we're definitely fans and obviously having you on the show here a couple of times. We definitely respect your voice. I think not only as a uh, as a business owner and a creator, but just as a community member, you know, here to spend time with people and make sure that they're successful. And I think similar to us, whether or not you ever buy a product that we have, that's sort of indifferent to the point that we still want to see you succeed and we want to be helpful to you. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you being on the show today to to help people understand what does consulting look like? And is it challenging? Yes. But are the benefits massively outweighing what you're putting into it? Absolutely, they are. There's so much you can gain from getting into a consulting career. So hopefully with what you've heard in the show today, you feel that consulting is a little bit more in reach for you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dave, for helping remove those fears people may have when starting a career as a junior Salesforce consultant. And for all you listeners out there that are interested in getting started, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash start to join the free five-day challenge. And for those of you who are maybe in your career already and you want to get into freelancing, we actually have a free Salesforce freelance career launch guide on the website, talentstacker.com. Yeah, that's perfect. So for everyone listening, thank you so much. Dave, once again, thank you so much for joining us and giving back to the community. For everyone out there, if you're enjoying the show and you like these episodes and you want to hear more, be sure to subscribe on whichever platform you're listening on. Share it with your friends and family. Leave us a review. We really do appreciate those reviews. And if you want to ask a question for our Q&A episodes, be sure to head over to talentstacker.com forward slash voicemail and leave us a voice message there. And until then, we will see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. To get started for free on your own Salesforce career, go to talentstacker.com forward slash start or check the show notes. There you'll find all the resources you need to start earning 60 to 80,000 in as little as eight months, no matter your education or career background. The Salesforce for Everyone podcast was produced by Edmund T and engineered by Andrew Mendonza. If you like what we do at this Scrappy Can Do podcast, please help others find us by leaving a five-star rating and a great review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. See you next time.